Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today, Rena Van Alst. How are you doing, Rena? Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm great. Let's dive straight into our wins and our challenges for this week. Hit me with your challenge, Rena. Well, I think this is a challenge that many, many strata managers can probably sympathise with. And it's the fact that we can't get any contractors at the moment, any tradesmen or contractors to give us quotes. Um, Unfortunately, with COVID, which is playing a big role at the moment in terms of people being sick, we've also had the rain, which is obviously causing a backlog of work. And when you're trying to explain to people that when you ask for a quote, you put a reminder, say, about two weeks, and then you follow up again, and then you don't get a response, and then you ring up and... And people don't realise that at the moment we really can't do any more than keep chasing up people for quotes. And unfortunately, I spoke to someone yesterday in relation to a waterproofing issue, which is really sort of the crux of what I'm coming to shortly, Amanda, is that he said to me, I'll try and get out there and give you a quote, but I can't even give you a date when I can start the work because what happens is that people have a schedule of works that have been given to them that's been approved, and they do it obviously based on that sort of schedule and timetable However, when it rains, it just means they can't do that work. The next job on their list is then delayed, and then there's a cascading effect. So in one particular building, we were so desperate because the owner, uh, the ceiling had actually had some water penetration. We had a roofing company come out, and they fixed it, but then there was still further penetration. They said, oh, no, there's another issue, and it relates to the waterproofing on the roof area. So that was confirmed by another, another contractor just to make sure that it wasn't just the roof company saying that because they had just completed the work and maybe they were trying to sort of justify why that solution wasn't keeping the water ingress out. So then we actually end up paying a company. We said, you know, he said, we got a quote to get a quote. So we paid $700 for this contractor to meet with the strata committee member to go out there to do a proper testing we pay for this quote, the quote doesn't come, we're chasing and chasing and chasing. And the next minute we get an email to say, oh no, now because of the Design Practitioners Act, I can't do waterproofing without a scope. So it's just been one of those things, Amanda, I think that strata management at the moment in terms of email volume, the rain, COVID, supply chain issues, it's just all becoming a real nightmare. Mm, it is the perfect storm of events, isn't it? And yeah. I'm interested to hear you add to that the requirements under our New South Wales Design and Building Practitioners Act. It's something that I've seen a couple of clients come a cropper with at the moment, having contractors come in and quote and then be told, oops, no, actually, I don't have the necessary qualification to be able to sign off on this work. We have to get someone else in, an engineer over the top to issue the final certificate. That's delaying everything. You're definitely not alone in this challenge, this frustration. And as a lawyer, I'm being asked by my clients, by strata managers, well, Amanda, if we can't meet our legal obligation to repair and maintain the common property, if we can't meet it right now or we're delayed in meeting that, what does that mean? Are we protected from some future liability because we're trying our best and we're taking all necessary available steps open to us to try and meet that obligation? It's not our fault. And the short answer to that is, well, no, you're not protected and 
as our law currently stands, if the common property is in need of repair and an owner is suffering some loss or damage because of that failure to repair, then they can still claim that loss and damage from the owner's corporation. And depending on the circumstances of the case, the owner's corporation may have to meet that loss, even if it has been trying its hardest to get contractors out to get the work done. It will be, I say, interesting from a lawyer's perspective, not so interesting perhaps from the building's perspective and the strata managers who are caught in the middle, interesting to watch if these cases end up before the tribunal, how they play out. But certainly all I can tell my clients and to those who are listening, suffering the same frustration at the moment is just keep doing the best you can to communicate with contractors, try and get them to site, always, always be updating your committees, your owners, especially the owner who might be suffering from water penetration, for example, or their agent, and let them know that you're doing the best you can in a really difficult situation. Well, on that point, Amanda, I think also what the other issue is that it's really hard to give an update when you don't have any news. And this is what one of the agents asked me about, you know, you haven't given us an update. It's like, well, I haven't got one to give you all I can say. Because when you do tell people that you've been trying to get quotes and you're following up, then people get, you know, one guy said to me, I want answers and solutions. I don't want to hear what's going on. I'm thinking, well, you know, I just refuse to answer that email anyway. I think it's quite rude. But the issue is, is that you can't get blood out of a stone. I mean, it is what it is. And I say to people, if you can get someone go ahead and recommend another contract. If you know someone that can do it more quickly and, you know, go ahead. I mean, unfortunately, you can only do what you can do. And I've been interested to see because, Amanda, they do want to take the Owners Corporation to NCAT this particular building, right? Um, the particular owner and agent. So I said, well, unfortunately, you do what you have to do. But, I mean, doesn't not going to change what we're doing. And I've been interested to see, as you said, how the tribunals are going to treat these types of cases. They must be getting a lot of them, I would say, now. Well, it's a really interesting aspect of our strata law, I have to say, because if you were in a freestanding home, not strata titled, and you had a leaking roof and you couldn't get a contractor out to fix that, and and I appreciate that the same is happening for freestanding homes as it is for strata properties. It's hard to find people. It's expensive. They don't turn up. You don't get quotes. If you're in a freestanding home and the water's coming in and your furniture's getting damaged and your carpet's soggy and your paint's peeling, well, you've got to wear that. Maybe you can claim on your insurance depending on the cause, but you've got to wear that. When you live in strata, the owner who suffers this consequential damage, we call it, where the common property is in need of repair and it hasn't yet been repaired, the owner can claim that against the owner's corporation, claim their losses from the owner's corporation. And the owner's corporation essentially, the way our New South Wales law is, stands in the position of an insurer to cover those losses. And that's kind of mind-bending that owners and occupiers in strata properties have that level of protection. Query the policy around that. Query whether that's right, whether that should indeed be the case. But it's certainly how our law has been interpreted and applied in the courts and in the tribunals that the owners corporation has to meet those losses, even if it's doing everything it can to find a fix and to carry out a fix. Yeah, what? I suppose in, in the wave now of cases following this upsurge in COVID as well, in terms of the rain, in terms of supply chain issues, how the, the tribunal does treat all those different factors when it comes to making decisions. Mm. Well, 
Let us know how you go. And those out there who are listening may be involved already before the tribunal in some of these cases, I always like to hear from you. It's a good way to share that knowledge of what's happening on the ground. And I'd be happy to bring that discussion to a future podcast episode. So don't hesitate to reach out. My challenge for this week is quite a public one. And it's certainly not my challenge. I'm not involved in this case in any way, whether as representative or as commentator in the media, not this one. I wanted to have a chat about the elderly Earlwood couple that many of us would have read about in a Sydney Morning Herald article and perhaps in some of the social media posts that have followed from that article. It was an article written on the 10th of July by Caitlin Fitzsimmons titled, After 50 Years in Earlwood, a Cruel Strata Bill Threatens an Elderly Couple with Homelessness. There's a link to the article in the show notes, but the short summary is that a Sydney couple are apparently being forced from their home of 50 years and facing personal bankruptcy because their owners' corporation voted to upgrade the windows at the building and this couple could not afford to pay their share of that bill. The levy was struck, it wasn't paid, and after what I understand to be a number of years, the couple was ultimately sued by the owners' corporation to recover the unpaid levy and with legal costs and interest mounting up, they haven't been able to pay that debt and they're now before the federal court facing bankruptcy. Lots of opinion has arisen out of this article. Rena, you've come across this one. What do you think? Yeah, well, only by chance, Amanda. I'm glad that you said a lot of people have read it because, I mean, I haven't read it until one of our owners was sending it to me because they're about to raise a special levy or get a loan for about thing about uh, it's about another seven hundred thousand dollars for a fire upgrade and a lot of people actually try and speak in relation to their own personal circumstances using other people's stories and in this case this particular committee member sent the link to this article and I thought oh, let me just read this and when I read it I you know, the first thing, obviously, the sensationalist media, you know, cruel. I mean, you know, I think cruelty is more about inflicting pain. I don't think issuing a levy to upgrade windows is cruel as such. But anyway, putting that aside, I was quite surprised because at the end, the last paragraph, I think, from memory, so that they bought the apartment for $22,000 in 1970-something. Now, thinking, well, what's it worth today? If you bought an, an apartment, you know, like young people today would be having to borrow a million dollars plus for any particular apartment. So if you were able to buy, and even, I mean, at that time, I think it was, the ratio was five times average weekly earnings when people bought their properties back in the 70s. So I don't know, I just think to myself, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You want to live in an apartment. There's a statutory requirement that we just mentioned about repairing and maintaining common property. And therefore, I think, I'm sure this couple probably could get a um, reverse mortgage. I'm not sure why they haven't thought about that, but there are financing situations available for older people that find themselves in this situation. But, um, mm. yeah, unfortunately, as a strata manager, when the owners corporation does have such a requirement to do this, uh, to say that it's cruel, and I suppose in a sense, you know, we don't know the whole story because you're only being given one side of the story. I'm sure that if you spoke to the strata committee members or the strata manager of that building, there could be another side to the story. But that's my take on it at the moment, Amanda. Look, if you're so inclined to read uh, comments and posts that appear under these kinds of articles, it is quite fascinating to see the divide in opinion 
and I characterise it as this, those who don't understand how strata works and what those legal obligations are and that it is a form of collective living and there are collective obligations, duties, it is a democratic process when decisions are made to attend to items around the building. It's not about what you might want or what you might personally be able to afford. Uh, People who understand that, uh, taking a similar view to what you've expressed there, Rena, but people who don't understand that and are saying, well, how dare these people have to be forced into this situation when they should be able to decide what happens in their home. Those people are, are quite incensed and quite upset about this happening. There is certainly more, I think it's safe to say, to this story than what we're reading. And I do think a key point that perhaps has sparked some of the discussion is that if I read the article correctly, this wasn't necessarily a case of repair of the windows. It was a case of upgrade. It was a change from timber windows to aluminium. So we've certainly had cases before the tribunal on that question, whether window replacement in that form is repair or whether it's upgrade. But I think the article may have been hinting at the fact that this didn't really need to be done. And this was something that other owners had decided would be preferred and didn't take into account the needs of this particular couple. Who knows whether that's the case or not? I'm reading between the lines there a little bit. And certainly if you are proposing an upgrade and improvement that's going to be expensive, I do encourage all owners to make sure that they consult with others in their community and make sure that the best option available is taken. Yes, there are other vehicles through which money can be raised, maybe a strata loan, maybe payment plans and staged payments. Um, There's a little bit of a mention of that in the article. I did receive a few messages in my inbox when this article came out and a special shout out to Dennis. Dennis, you know who you are, who gave me some material, which I did pass on to the journalist, about these uh, elderly people being able to access some finance through a particular scheme for people in their type of position. And I have since heard from the journalist that they were aware of that through some financial counselling that the couple had eventually received. It sounded a little bit like too little, too late. But the couple set up a GoFundMe page. Have, did you catch that, Rena, within the last couple of weeks? No. Or so they set up a GoFundMe page and I think actually through donations they have raised the required amount to avoid their bankruptcy. Okay. I'm looking at the page now. They've raised $62,000 through donations. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in a sense I'm, I'm not sort of being unsympathetic, but the issue remainder is for older buildings, when you take out windows and you try and put new ones in, you've obviously got the damage that occurs, which I think a lot of people don't understand. A lot of remedial work has to be undertaken in addition just to the installation so that there's a bigger cost than probably what they were even told at the time it was going to cost them when they were undertaking this project. So... Mm. 62,000. Oh, so this, this might become a new thing, Amanda. Go find me pages when you can't pay your levies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Interesting. The other aspect to this story, of course, is the mention that this couple did receive some form of legal advice early in the piece. It doesn't sound like that advice came from an experienced strata lawyer and perhaps there were options available to this couple through the tribunal process, through challenging resolutions of the owner's corporation that could have been followed to avoid this situation. And it's not completely clear why that didn't happen. But I do think another key takeaway from this is to 
make sure if you are in a position where you could be facing significant financial burden that you're getting advice quickly from the right place. I think also, man, like when people go through financial hardship, if you look at, say, the banks, I mean, they say, you know, let us know if you're having difficulty paying your mortgage. You know, there's ways of approaching these things. And I think that ultimately, you know, if you have an asset, some people have been forced to, to sell an asset to go into something that's, you know, smaller or cheaper or whatever if they feel they can't live in strata. I mean, that's that's another choice people have to make. I mean, is strata living for you or are you better off just living somewhere where you can decide, you know, whether you want to change the windows if they are leaking or the roof's falling in. You don't want to, you know, if it's, you're getting damaged. You can, like in, a, in a freestanding house, you can decide all these things. So there is something to say about collective living and making a choice to be part of that and expecting all the services that come with collective living as you said earlier. Yep. So. The good and the bad, definitely. Yep. On to your win for this week, Rena. Yeah, well, this is probably the first time I've ever had to do this. But um, in one of our strata schemes, we've had an application lodged by an owner for a very sort of minor issue in terms of NCAT. It's, it's about the planting of trees and the height of the trees that have been delivered. But I won't go into the subject. It's safe to say that because I was unwell and so was a lawyer, the lawyer actually got COVID twice we were unable to comply with the submission dates that had been set by the tribunal back in April. So I wrote to the tribunal and asked for an extension of two weeks to put the submissions in. And I listed all the reasons why. And including also the committee member that's also going to be making a statement is away at the moment as well. So it makes it harder when someone's overseas, you know, different time zones, etc. And the tribunal wrote back to me and said, oh, no, you need the consent of the applicant. I thought, oh, I didn't realise that. First time for me, I've never really had to ask for it because I think the lawyer hadn't yet been formally appointed at that time. So I had to write to the tribunal. Anyway, and so so I wrote to him. I said, you know, asking for consent as per the the NCAT's advice. And anyway, he said no, even though I feel sorry for people being sick, you know. And it wasn't as if it was something that was like water coming into your apartment or some sort of significant event. So I went back to the tribunal and I just said, as you can see, the applicant won't give consent and I respectfully request that the tribunal give us the extension. And I said, this doesn't affect the person's amenity or ability to live in their apartment, so extending it by two weeks won't make a difference. And, um, yeah, the tribunal granted that. So I was really happy because I was drafting my email the night before ready for them to say no and having and I stayed up all night, you know, doing a mm. statement. <laughs> and then next minute in the morning I said, oh, no, it's fine. You've got the two-week extension. And I thought, oh. Thank God mm. for that. But um, Relief. Yeah, so it's the first time I've ever had to, um, obviously I think for strata managers because we don't really deal directly with NCAT on this level, it's interesting for me to understand that the applicant has to give consent. And I've never, I've seen lawyers write all the time and ask for extensions and the other sides have always said yes. I've never really seen anyone say no before but um, it was actually quite a, a good thing for me to understand and learn, I think as a strata manager, how the tribunal works and, and that you do need the other person's consent. Yes, the tribunal is looking for the most efficient way to deal with your request and if you've done the hard work of writing to the other side first and asking if they consent and if they do consent, you can each make a joint approach to the tribunal and let them know, hey, we've sorted that out, we both agree there should be another two weeks and then the tribunal doesn't have to really turn its mind to the question. So that's why they do ask that you try and sort it out between yourselves first And in my experience, yes, I'm often telling frustrated clients that the tribunal does take that approach of allowing procedural fairness and giving you the opportunity, especially if you've been unwell, for example, to put your case together properly. And it is 
common, I think, for the tribunal to grant such extensions at least once. And I'm often preparing my client who who may feel very prepared and may feel a bit frustrated at the extra delay. I, I often say, look, just be aware that it's very likely that your opponent will get this extension. Sometimes we as lawyers are instructed to oppose and extension of time, a request for an extension of time, even though we may have told our clients, look, it's a good idea to consent, they're going to get it anyway. So I suppose you don't know whether it was the lawyer who was standing firm there or their client. Oh no, this person, no, no, he doesn't, he doesn't have a lawyer. So he's just doing it by himself, which is another issue, but which we won't go into because part of my um, submission was that the application just can't be understood it just doesn't make any sense unfortunately but um yeah the harder manner when you're trying yeah but I think also too usually by the time you've ended up in NCAT you know you've waited for so long I keep telling people what's another two weeks when you've waited you know, all these months or years in some cases so mm. um, can be yeah I noticed um just last week I got a mediation date I'm pretty sure we filed for mediation in early June and we've got a September date. So mediations are still taking three months. I was saying that a couple of years ago when we were at the height of the pandemic and the lockdowns, but still there doesn't seem to have been any increase in the speed at which these applications are going through. To wait three months for a mediation, you're then adding that to your ultimate tribunal time in some cases if mediation's not successful. So yeah, real difficulty there to be overcome. Yeah, well, I think the other thing, Amanda, which I probably didn't mention in my challenge initially, is also is staff shortages. I mean, everyone knows now the unemployment rate is 3.5%. And in terms of getting, you know, staff, and I'm sure the tribunal would be having the same issues that all of us are having, you know, and then people getting sick. I mean, you know, just about every week someone's sick in, in every office. And um, so when you couple that with every, everything else that's going on, I'm sure, like, yeah, it hasn't changed. You're right, mediation is still three months in the making. Before mm, you get a yep. date, so yep. yeah, good to be aware of, and still happening by phone in New South Wales. Mm. Yeah, that's I right. I find that interesting. Yeah, even the tribunal was still operating by phone and AV link. I don't think I've had my bottom on a seat in the tribunal for a couple of years now. Yeah, our colleagues in other states, I know, find that a little bit strange. I find that a little bit strange. Uh, I understand now as we probably head into another peak of the virus that that's probably a sensible position to retain, but I'm not sure what plans, what intention there is to get us back into the tribunal in person. be interesting to know if anyone does know. Yeah, I'm sure there was no intention even before this new wave of the pandemic. To yeah, exactly. To change it as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Yeah. Well, over to my win for this week. I will be somewhere in person in a couple of weeks' time. I will be on stage delivering a session for the Australian Institute of Conveyances, the New South Wales division. I have been invited for the third year in a row to deliver some strata training to our conveyances, which I'm always very happy to do because it is that point where somebody purchases a strata property that they're often getting their first taste of strata, strata knowledge. Their conveyancer is their first point of access to that information and to that knowledge. And it is incredibly important that our conveyances, our property lawyers who are acting on sales and purchases of strata properties are up to speed on the ins and outs of our complex world. And in preparation for that session, I put a call out on our social channels, on our Facebook page, Your Strata Property, and also our Instagram, inviting you, listeners, followers, to let me know what you wish 
you would have known or would have been told when you first bought into Strata. Now, I'm bringing this to the podcast as a win because I have received so much gold from those of you who responded to that question that I am going to incorporate into my session with the conveyances that I know will be helpful. And I just wanted to highlight a couple of insights Crystal posted on the Facebook page, as a strata manager, I feel pre-purchase inspection should be mandatory. So many clients purchase into a plan without carrying out an inspection of the books and records and then complain about not being aware of critical things that pertain to their complex. Anthony, who I know is also a strata manager, said education is key in this space. So often I hear from people saying, what is Unit entitlement. How are my fees calculated? Why can't I just renovate my own apartment? So what I'm hearing here from the strata managers is that you're often left to pick up the pieces when a purchaser is not properly educated, not aware of exactly what they're buying into. And if our conveyances, if I can encourage our conveyances to do a little bit more in that space or arm their clients with some more information at that point of purchase, then hopefully it's going to make your lives a little bit easier. That's really interesting, man. I think that so many people don't really know what they're actually buying into and they do buy into Strata. And there was recently on the 730 report, Basically, people buying off the plan and all the defects that they've been experiencing and not being able to live in their apartment. So perhaps for those people that are buying off the plan, that could be another thing that you could add to your um, list of things that people should be told about because that's even one step removed from even doing a search of the books and records because there probably aren't any at that time. In terms of when you're buying off the plan, do you know what you're actually buying into and the whole situation of defects? Yes, advising on an off-the-plan contract definitely requires special skill and expertise, that's for sure. Yeah. I just wanted to highlight Sue's post as well in response to this question that I asked about what you wish you would have known or wish you would have been told before you bought into Strata. Sue has a long list. Her list includes the ages of the owners, the percentage (laughs) of owner-occupiers versus tenants, the years that each committee member has spent on the committee, the priorities for upkeep and maintenance, whether the sinking fund items such as lift replacement and balustrade replacements have been costed by a quantity surveyor, whether bylaw breach notices are given out fairly. Long list there that Sue has clearly put together after perhaps spending some time in Strata and experiencing the challenges that so many do experience. Yeah, well, that's very interesting, Amanda, because um, when you look at an apartment, you know, online initially or you you do an inspection, uh, a lot of people don't really ask those questions. But it's funny, I actually had a tenant in my building that came to inspect one of the apartments that was up for lease, even asking other residents, what's it like to live here? What, you know, is it a community-based residency here and things like that? And I was told by one of the owners of that person that asked that question, well, that's a really good question to ask. A lot of people, when they come in, they don't really ask that question. That's thing perhaps your commentator could have asked when they, you know, went in and did the inspection. If they saw any residents, they could have just perhaps asked some of those questions that none of us ever think to do. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> you just reminded me of that event that happened in my own building. Yeah, I have made that suggestion myself. I think it may have been when I was a guest on another podcast on one of Veronica Morgan's podcasts. I think perhaps her her first home buyer podcast that she has now together with the Elephant in the Room property podcast. And I was asked a question, what do you advise people buying into Strata? What do they do to best prepare and make sure they don't buy a dud? And I said, 
something similar, going to the inspection and trying to pick out who are the sticky beakers here who actually live in the apartment next door and having a chat to them about the community and being able to hear firsthand from somebody who hopefully is uh, disinterested in the sale or purchase of that property who can give you a fair view. Yes, the books and records are one thing, but being able to chat to someone who lives and breathes the community and is able to give you an honest opinion could be very helpful. Well, well, that is our episode for today. We have covered a wide range there, lots packed in. Busy week ahead, Rena. Yeah, for every strata manager, it's just unrelenting at the moment. Yes, well, we're here for you, strata managers. We're thinking of you. You're certainly not alone. And we thank you. Can I say that? From an owner perspective, uh, we thank you for the hard work that you're doing. You are recognised, certainly. And this too shall pass. Can I say that? I hope it will. <laughs> yep. We'll see <laughs> how long it takes before it passes. Yeah, everything does come to an end eventually. Mm. <laughs> All right. I'll send you off to your busy week. Thank you, Rena Van Elst. Thanks, Amanda. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?